Cleveland podcast. I'm Dan Pauletta. Thanks for joining us. When the pandemic hit and we went into lockdown, all of a sudden, a lot of traditions that were part of our lives stopped. That included no more going out for dinner night, pizza after your kid's event, not stopping for happy hour after work or enjoying Sunday brunch. It all came to a halt. And while some restaurants were able to adapt to a carryout model, many had to wait until those restrictions were relaxed, which caused upheaval for their customers, but more importantly, for the employees and the employers who ran those restaurants. Here to bring us up to date on the restaurant industry is the president and CEO of the Ohio Restaurant Association, John Barker. John, thanks for being with us today. It's good to be here. When I was in high school and college, I worked in a pizza place. And over that eight-year period, there were customers who came in every single Friday and ordered the same thing. Do you think people came to realize that how important restaurants are in their lives, not just to get food, but as part of a sort of a tradition? It's something that you do. Yeah. I think most people, it's sort of a part of rhythm of their life that they get to go out and go out with their friends or, you know, maybe a family member. And uh, of course, there is a meal involved, but it's more than that. It's catching up on the day and talking about, you know, the sports teams you like or what event you're going to or what what vacation you might be planning. You know, how much you don't like your boss, you know, <laughs> all those kind of things. Right. And uh, and food and drink helps us uh, definitely with that. What's the overview? How are restaurants doing these days, say, compared to a year ago or even two years ago, just in an overall sense? Yeah. Well, compared to two years ago, a lot better, right? Because a, a couple of years ago, we were just getting restaurants reopened. Uh, and in fact, I recall we reopened restaurants in late June in 2020, and um, nobody really knew what was going on, right? We were if you remember, we, we had, uh, you know, you couldn't uh, get, this, you know, uh, plexiglass in restaurants in between booths and, you, you know, in front of the checkout. And, uh, you know, you had to, to, to try to keep people separated. Remember six foot distancing and um, what quite an experiment on uh, and how to run a business and how to deal with humans. Uh, you had to get your staff to understand all those things. You had to get customers to understand it. So we're a lot better off today, two years later. But we're nowhere back to where we were pre-pandemic, nor do we think we ever will be. We think the landscape has has changed uh, completely. Uh, and more so than, you know, I, I like to look at uh, trends over time. I used to, to track a thing called megatrends. And uh, and we look at those types of things um, across you know, people and, uh, and businesses, and in our case, restaurants and food service and breweries and things like that. And uh, the change has just been more accelerated. And, uh, and so today, the way you operated in 2019 is just, it's just very different. And we just don't think it's going to go back. And we can get into that, but um, different world. And what are some of the reasons you don't think it'll be back to the way it was? Well, number one, um, people are still uh, all over the place on how they view COVID and this pandemic. Uh, you have a bunch of people who say, I should have never worn a mask. I'm never going to get a, you know, a shot. I'm never going to get right. a booster, you know, COVID never happened, that, that type of thing. That's on one extreme. And then on the other extreme, you know, a lot of people with very high degree of risk that still are not back to normal. And, I, and they probably never will be because, you know, they they were already susceptible to things like flu and, and so forth. And so you have those extremes. And in the middle, it's kind of all over the place. And right now, for example, um, the case the cases of, uh, you know, this B5 are, are kind of back up again different parts of Ohio. <clears throat> and so that's just another worrisome thing. So 
I don't think we're going to get over that anytime. You know, people who study this, uh, you know, believe that the, this, we're in an endemic stage now with, with variations of COVID. So that's number one. Number two, restaurants had to change their models so much to survive. Many restaurants that relied just on sit-down models, a lot of mom and pops, independents. Today, they do a lot of takeout. And, um, and some of them do delivery, I mean, or they use a third party delivery. And so that's an entirely new business model for them. And, um, and then, you know, uh, interestingly, um, our traffic is down. If you compare traffic, number of people going to restaurants, I know this is kind of hard to believe if you just do mother-in-law research, traffic is down. It's down from 2019, um, 2020, of course, it fell off the, the table. But traffic is lower than it was pre-pandemic, uh, even though it seems busy out there. But we have so many fewer restaurants because so many restaurants closed. And all there are some restaurants that have opened. The net number of restaurants is down uh, from where it was in 2019. So customer traffic's down. And um, and then, you know, one more thing to layer on, right from the lips of our operators, inflation that they've never seen in their life. It's been a long time since we've had this kind of inflation. Yeah. One of the things that restaurateurs did, as many organizations did, they were able to turn to the government for some sort of stimulus money. How important were things like the Paycheck Protection Program and the other money that restaurants were able to get? Was that the main way they stayed afloat during that period? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I was just talking to somebody about this. So it was about, you know, uh, April, May, June in 2020, where we were having lots of conversations with operators who were crying, you know, to us, you know, to people in, in my seat, where we're sort of the consultant to them, right, and saying, I'm going to lose everything. I'm going to shut down. And, and our our job at that time was to to give them hope, but obviously give them hope realistically because nobody knew exactly where this was going. But we were negotiating with the governor. We were negotiating with Congress. We were in the middle of every one of those dis- discussions, um, as you can imagine. And, and we could see, oppor- you know, the opportunity to get things you know back reopened in some form and get some support. So we helped uh, formulate PPP at the federal level. And then the uh, it was a variation of the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program, that made it usable for restaurants. And so we had to get we had to get that done. And that saved a lot of people because those dollars came into, you know, really any business that was so negatively affected. Um, and we were one of them. Right. We were one of we were right on the front edge of things getting shut down. So that helped people survive. And then and then we worked with the state. We put grant programs together for the state. Many of our cities put grant programs together. Um, we had the restaurant revitalization uh, fund that came from the federal government. About a third of the restaurants that applied got that money. Um, we had economic injury disaster loans uh, that we were able to formulate and give people money that way. Now, of course, they were required you know, to, to repay those. And now we're working with the Employee Retention Tax Credit, uh, and we've been able to, you know, get the government to work on that with us. And so there are a lot of tools in the toolbox. And, um, you know, the operators who work very closely with us and the National Restaurant Association and used all the tools, they're the ones who made it. And those who didn't oftentimes, sadly, did not. That's the reason we had so many closures. I mean, the National Restaurant Association uh, estimated we lost uh, a little over 100,000 restaurants uh, during the pandemic. Um, and that's just tragic, you know, because those are typically not your big chains. Those are typically your mom and pops that didn't make it. You mentioned the Restaurant Re- Revitalization Fund. If I understand correctly, Congress did not pass funding again for that? Yeah, we were um, we worked on that for, boy, it felt like forever, many, many months. Um, the first tranche went through. And what happened is <clears throat> the amount of applications that came in far exceeded, you know, the amount of money they allocated. So instead of giving everybody sort of something 
what they did is they appears to be, from all we can look at in the rearview mirror, arbitrarily picked about 30% of those who uh, were eligible and applied and gave them the funds, which, of course, was better than nothing. <clears throat> but if you're somebody who did not get the money, um, you're at a disadvantage. And so give an example. You're walking down the, you know, the street in Cleveland and uh, you go by one restaurant. It looks kind of robust and they have a lot of employees and you know they've done some renovation. They have new awnings. It, you know, it kind of looks like a healthy restaurant. They probably got RRF. <clears throat> you know, go another block and you see kind of a beaten up restaurant and they're understaffed and, you know, just they look like they're just barely hanging on. They probably did not get it. And so the ones who did get it can pay their employees more. You know, they can make the investments that they need to. They can maybe keep their prices at a slightly lower level. Right. The ones who did not get it have to make all these desperation moves, including they, they can't pay people as much. So maybe now they can't be open. Monday and Tuesday because I don't have any staff, right? I mean, that that's how this has actually come to fruition on this. And, uh, you know, we've talked to Congress about this to we're blue in the face. I said, you you know, arbitrarily pick winners and losers with this program, which is the reason we asked, you know, for the RRF to, uh, to have a second tranche and uh, they would not approve it. So um, very sad for this industry and, and one that, you know, we, we feel terrible about. We hear all the time about supply chain issues. I have to imagine that's a paramount problem for restaurants. Where are the places they're being hit the hardest in terms of supply chain? Well, uh, the, some of the good news is that you can get chicken wings now. Uh, do you remember <laughs> a little while ago you <laughs> go into a restaurant and it would? I, it would I'm not say, a chicken wings guy. I didn't know that. Really? Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of people. I'm not only chicken wings. That, well, people <laughs> make it their meal. It used to be a uh, an appetizer, right? Now people. <laughs> right there was but there was a, there was a time we couldn't get chicken wings nobody could get them and then uh, and that was because the um, uh, processing plants everybody had covid right and so there was nobody to process the, the, the chicken it was awful uh most of that has kind of taken care of itself but chicken prices did go up uh certain cuts of chicken went up by four times for many of our restaurants and so oh, i remember yeah. I remember talking to some of our big chicken wing type places and, and they put on their website, instead of the price, like, you know, call up and say, I want to get an order of wings. It would say market price. <laughs> the last time I saw that was a lot. <laughs> it's like you're ordering escargot, right? <laughs> uh, but some of those things are better. Mm -hmm. um, most of our operators are getting about 90% of the orders that they make uh, on, on a weekly basis. Um, but remember, you know, again, pre-pandemic, people were able to get close to 100. So this is just a new world. Like you make an order and one week you don't get the lobster. The next week you don't get your butter. The next week you don't get, you know, whatever, you know, whatever it is. And it's very frustrating, right? Because a lot of these restaurants are so busy and they have to keep making all these changes, particularly uh, sit down, fine dining restaurants <clears throat> that have very, you know, explicit kind of ingredients that go into things. Um, uh, and so, uh, you know, there are times like certain cuts of uh steak went through the roof and the question is am i just going to take a loss not put it on the menu what, what am i going to do right i'm going to ask somebody to pay 80 dollars for a steak right john barker joins us today he's the president and ceo of the ohio restaurant association he joins us for the landscape of cranes cleveland podcast john you mentioned this whole issue of cost and, and costs going up how do you hit that delicate balance let's use the pizza place all of a sudden my pizza box cost goes up you can pass that on to consumers but then if you put, raise your prices, people go elsewhere. How do you balance that? Yeah, you know, we've talked to our <clears throat> our members everywhere about this, and you know, we've shared a lot of data. We <clears throat> we send out uh, a lot of data to our members and content to try to help them with this. And then, 
Uh, a few of us have been in the restaurant business for a long, long time. You know, we, we really consult with them. That's, that's, that's what, you know, a good trade association does. <clears throat> and we ask them to kind of review, you know, their menu and their cost structure and, and talk to their customers constantly. If you're a one store independent operator, right, you got to do this work yourself. If you're a bigger company or a chain, <clears throat> you have people that do this. You have, you have basically, you know, people that, that do this kind of analysis for you. But if you're an independent, you got to do it. And that could be, you know, you just go around to five restaurants <clears throat> within a half a mile of yours and just look at the pricing and say, okay, I got to take some price, but I can't get too far out of line with the people who are around me. So, <clears throat> you know, if, if you had Dan's Hamburgers co company, right, you can't charge 15 if the place, you know, half a block away is charging eight ninety nine for a hamburger. Just, you know, <clears throat> if you do that, you're going to lose your customers. So, you know, you, you have to do that kind of thing. You got to at least try to break even on your rising costs. And that's what most of our operators are doing. They're just trying to hang on to the worst of this inflation. And, uh, and some of them ask us, well, how long is this going to be? And I said, well, if I could figure that out, you know, I'd be running the Fed. But uh, um, <laughs> nobody knows. It does feel like this is going to go on for quite some time. And we say, so <clears throat> I hate to tell you this, dear operator, you're going to have to operate closer to flawless than any time in your history. Certainly one of the big stories during this pandemic when it came to restaurants was this issue of staffing. Has that gotten any better or is it still tough to get people to come to work in restaurants? Yes and yes. It has gotten a little bit better. Uh, remember, you know, there was a time where restaurants were furloughing every employee. Depending on how long they stayed closed, it was hard to get those employees to come back. And so that that was the first issue. The second issue is the government tells us 5.3 million people quit forever, right? The workforce. <laughs> so if that's true, like that's just a huge hole right out there uh, of people. <clears throat> and they can be more choosy because now there's a lot of jobs, right? I mean, you know, go on Indeed or LinkedIn, you, you know, you can you can apply for 15 jobs in five minutes, you know. And um, so it's harder. You know, our the latest numbers that we're looking at, our industry uh, across the United States is about 750,000 short compared to pre-pandemic. So that would mean in Ohio, you know, we used to, we used, it's interesting, uh, before the pandemic, our numbers, our analysis showed 585,000 people worked in food service and restaurants in the state of Ohio. So that means we're probably down closer to about 520 right now. So we're just, we're missing a lot of people, you know, in this industry. And um, so th that's the bad news. The good news is if you're in the industry, you're making more money. Right. Because to get people to come back to work, our tipped employees on average now are twenty seven dollars an hour across the state. Pretty good. I mean, that's pretty good living if you if that's something you like to do. Money incentives are certainly a big part of trying to draw people back to the industry. Were there other things restaurateurs were doing or are trying to do offering other things to try to get people to come to work? Bonuses, time off, those kinds of things. Yeah. One of the things that, that we put in place and <clears throat> we're working on this is, is you know, training operators to look at uh, their employee situation through a, through a lens we call total rewards. And so that's not just compensation, you know, so compensation is what's your salary, what's your hour, what kind of tip opportunity you have, but you know, are you, are you offering health benefits, right? Vision, dental, do you offer a 401k plan? Do you uh, try to give people a little more flexibility, particularly if you're a parent, you know, a caregiver to an elderly person, like, what are your, like, what are your needs as an employee? And how can we work with you better uh, compared to, you know, kind of in the past? Because all boats are rising right now, right? The expectation for employers are going up. You hear, you know, you hear people like Target starting people at $25 an hour, paying tuition, you know, things like that. <clears throat> That's the kind of thing that we've got to be open to in this industry. Now, by the way, 
So that's that's good. That's the good side. Of course, that doesn't come without a cost. Therefore, your hamburger is going to go up in cost, right? So the cost of society is, you know, people get paid a little bit more. All these things are better for employees. That's terrific. But we're not going to be able to have uh, probably food won't be as low cost going forward anymore. By the way, not just in restaurants, but grocery stores. Go to the grocery and get a big order. You're, you know, depending on what you're buying, it's hundreds and hundreds of dollars compared to pre-pandemic, right? So, uh, you know, we know if you study economic theory, right, that it's just there's no easy ride on this stuff, right? If you're going to pay people more and all things are going to go up, you're going to have uh, paid leave, you're going to have more paid time off, and you're going to have sick days, and you're going to have, you know, um, you're going to pay for COVID tests. You're going to do all these things, which, you know, employees would like to have happen. Um, cost then for the business is going to go through the roof and that's going to have to be passed on. You know, interestingly, <clears throat> restaurants before the pandemic over a long period of time, and I've been in this industry about 30 years, uh, profit margin is about five to seven percent on average for the typical restaurant. With what's gone on with the pandemic, once they got through that, most of our restaurants are operating now somewhere but the ones that are surviving zero and two percent and they're just that's what that's i said about this. yeah that, that that's what i mean about the flawless piece right <laughs> quite honestly people have to understand that nobody gets into business to break even like that like who gets into a business to say i, I, I want to work 80 hours a week and break even <laughs> nobody wants to do that. it does present an interesting question you often hear this uh, you know for example if we didn't have migrant workers your strawberries wouldn't be six dollars you know but, but box or whatever they'd be twelve dollars is the restaurant industry hit that point that, you know, it's if you want dishwashers, you're going to have to pay them and people are just going to have to understand that's the way it is. Yeah. And it's interesting. That is if you if you do surveys and polls of most Americans, they're like, yes, everybody should make a living wage and we should be paying people twenty, twenty five dollars an hour. <clears throat> and, um, you know, the minimum wage should go to 15 and, you know, all these things that in theory, we're like, yes, who would be against trying to help people? Right. I mean, that's kind of the American dream and doing all that. Um, but over time in a capital capitalistic society, typically people with less skills make less money. You know what I mean? And then as they get more skills, they move up the economic ladder. The pandemic and what we're going through right now with all this economic pressure and, and the fact that there's a million jobs available at any given time, it's changing all those equations violently for us. Yeah, so, yeah, you're going to have to pay more for everything. And it just, you know, and again, uh, I encourage everybody, if you don't understand this, like take an econ class, right? I remember, I don't, did you take any econ, in, you know, uh, in your life? I took it. I had it in my undergrad and I'll never forget my head was spinning in it, right? Listening to the econ professor explaining how all this sort of works together. And uh, with your input costs go up, you know, the menu price or the price tag is going to go up as well. You said the industry has changed as we close. Are you still optimistic? Are we, is there some light at the end of the tunnel or is just, this is a whole new thing? We're always optimistic. <clears throat> you know, it's interesting. Uh, restaurants are still opening. You know, you drive around Cleveland and, you know, we keep close tabs on this, right? Northeast Ohio, uh, everywhere around the state, people are opening restaurants. But what I'm seeing now, it's the stronger operators that are opening, you know, meaning they already have a good business model. They have a great banking relationship. They can get access to money um, uh, or their family gives them a lot of money, right? And I always say, be careful about that, right? These businesses have a high, you know, Restaurants just have a you know a pretty high failure rate, and, and it's no secret. Like look at the last thirty years, right? Um, so <clears throat> get really good at what you're doing. Talk to us. We actually can help 
small restaurateurs when they get open. So they do the right kind of licensing and they get all their cost in line. You know, we, we help them get everything from the health insurance. We help them do that right through a group. We help them get their workers comp. You know, we, <clears throat> we can help them with a uh, consolidated energy program. So, you know, we try to do things to make their uh, opportunity for success higher. And so use your trade association to do that. Um, so you're still around five years from now and making some money because I, you know, we get through the worst of this, um, restaurant business is a fun one to be in clearly, you know, and that's why so many people are in, are in it. And, um, we want, you know, we want the best times to come back. And so we are, we're optimistic. We always get the end of the day, thumbs up, good day. John Barker, thanks for bringing us up to speed on what's going on in the restaurant business. Pleasure having you join us today. Thank you so much. John Barker is the president and CEO of the Ohio Restaurant Association. He joined us today for the Landscape of Cranes Cleveland podcast. I'm Dan Paletta. Thank you for joining us, and we'll talk again soon.